challenges to remember that God is all there is. How do you apply spiritual principle in the real world? What are your daily spiritual practices? These are the kinds of questions we'll talk about in this show. Your hosts, Leslie and Tracy, will share their experiences, but also want to learn from your insights, your questions, and your suggestions. So, don't just listen in. Call us with your comments. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you are listening to this, it is time to say yes to spirit. You mean that doesn't just happen at a certain time of the day? We shouldn't just reserve like 6.30 in the morning? No, that's only for you. Oh, golly, I'm glad I came. So now I know. <laughs> Anytime I can say yes to spirit. Yeah, so this is Say Yes to Spirit and we come to you on a regular basis to encourage you on your spiritual path and to remind each one of us that uh, <laughs> we have made a commitment to say yes to spirit. So every week we have a theme, and today our theme is grateful. Grateful, being grateful. Then she just stops and looks at me. Am I supposed to be grateful? Is that are, you, are we doing the connect the dots? You're supposed to encourage me and say it's my favorite time. Great, connect the dots. Okay, I can say that. And now for <laughs> Leslie's favorite time in the show, connect the, the dots. dots. It, it is my favorite time of the show. And I, what is connect the dots? Yes, I was going to say, and I, I think it's because of the idea of well, what is it. I'm about to just here in a minute stumble into a definition of it. It's taking what we talked about last week and connecting it to what we're talking about this week. And I think the reason that this is such a significant thing to me, and I really do enjoy it so much, is because I do believe there's a connection, a little thread between everything. And so Tracy even has music. I love that music. And so the idea of looking for the thread or seeing the connection, to me, is a really fabulous game. And to be able to even take that, that next level of understanding how everything is sort of connected when I stop and really become aware of that. So my connection between last week was, was the flow, the flow, and gratefulness. I'm thinking, you know, and, it, it, and I do think last week it was interesting, the topic of the flow, kind of coming up with the idea of going with the flow with the negative peer group or being in the flow of spirit and guidance and divine design. And in a strange way, those are two kind of different definitions of flow. And when I think of grateful, I always think I'm supposed to be grateful for the good that comes to my life. (laughs) Did you laugh out loud? I did. Oh, okay. uh, But then I also think in a strange way to be grateful for the quote-unquote not so good to see the good in that. So the connect the dots, this is a very deep and profound one, perhaps it's too deep for even me, but it's kind of like to be grateful in two different directions as I believe we kind of discovered last week the flow is the flow, even though if it's in two different directions. You're looking at me like I have three heads again. Well, that's so that's it then, huh? for this week, and <laughs> we're going to take a break, really and we will be right back with Say Yes to Spirit. Stay with us.
Welcome back. You're listening to Say Yes to Fear. <laughs> You're listening I got to a little uh, distracted because on the wall I have a calendar for my stained glass spirit. Love that. And I it caught my eye, and I was getting ready to say, you're listening to stain. Uh, no, this would not be stained glass spirit. This would say be say yes to spirit. Uh, with Leslie Lots and of spirit Tracy. going on in your world, there. Lots Tracy. of spirit going on in this space. Yes, in in my world always. And today our theme is grateful, and so we're going to talk about what it means to be grateful, how we show we're grateful, do we have a gratitude practice, or what kinds of things do we do that are spiritual practices that help keep us in tune with being grateful, and absolutely, as you mentioned in the Connect the Dots, um, if we say yes to spirit, is it possible or even maybe expected that we would be grateful for all things that happen in our lives, even those things that the human side of us wants to label as bad or challenging or mistakes mm-hmm. or failures? Mm-hmm. And there's an interesting um, uh, saying and new thought that what I resist persists. Yes. And what I have discovered over the years, if things are going in a direction that I'm really just fearful of or nervous of or not understanding, and I get very resistant to it, like, oh, no, what's happening? Oh, this you know, this can't be happening. Oh, I hate this. Really this. I'm so this tired is, oh, of right. being in this situation. Yeah. Right. And it's like that is bouncing around in my head. I'm giving all that energy to resisting it, to fighting it. That word fighting is never a good word to put in front of anything. Um, and so when I get into a state of saying, oh, no, if this is happening, not, oh, no, like, oh, bad, but, oh, no, if this is happening, this must be for my good. I'm really grateful if this is happening. There's something here. There's a pearl. There's a little nugget. There's something here. And when I stop and look at it that way, it's like it opens up, gives that energy an opportunity to flow through and be done, and be gone, and move on. But as long as I'm whirling around and fighting it, or resisting it, or being nervous about it, I seem to be literally blocking that flow. Ah, that should have been my connected eyes. Okay, never mind. But when I get into gratitude, immediately seeing this is something good going to come out of this. Something good is going to come out of this. Um, it is. It, it opens up that flow for it to go through. And you'll probably know who said this. Who's Emma Thompson? Is Emma Thompson? That's not actress, isn't it? That's not one of our. <laughs> I like it when I can make you laugh, Tracy. That's not one of our founding New Thought people, is it? It's Emma something, isn't it? Emma, Emma Curtis Hopkins. You know, that's the one. Emma <laughs> Curtis Hopkins. Yes. I went to a prayer group uh, last night. I've been in a prayer circle with the same three women for over five years. And it's really fascinating. I found myself last night just wanting to go home and going to bed or just wanting to go to a movie or just wanting to take myself somewhere. And um, once I hit that door and did the thing that I, you know, it was an amazing two-and-a-half-hour time. And one of the quotes that one of the women said uh, that Emma Curtis Hopkins says is uh, there is good in this world and I'm going to find it and I and I have it. And I'm entitled to and it. And I'm entitled to it. That's it. Or it, 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 I don't think she uses used the word entitled, but and it's and it's mine. And it's I mine. Have it. Yes, there I deserve is it. Good in this world and it is mine. I deserve it. And I really think that's um that's like living in a state of gratitude. There's good in this world and I get to have it. Yes. I'm going to be teaching a class about her. In a few Are you? Mm-hmm. Well, at, in, in the middle of, uh, yeah, in a few months. Now, if my history lesson, and I think this is fascinating because I'm all about thinking women are smarter anyway, um, but is it <laughs> is it Emma Curtis Hopkins? Emma Hopkins Curtis? Which one is it? Curtis Hopkins. Emma Curtis Hopkins. Wasn't she the original teacher that taught 
the man that started Science of the Mind, which was Ernest Holmes, and then the couple that started Unity, which was the Phil Moore. Wasn't Emma their kind of uh, guru or master teacher, for lack of a better word? She is. She did teach them and the founder of um, Christian Science, Mary Baker Eddy. She Emma Curtis Hopkins was one of the teachers that all of them happened to study under, but they also studied under other people. Individually, but, yeah, she was a common denominator she, between. She's, one of she's, the common denominators. Um, yeah, she's referred to as the teacher of teachers. And I love that. Because, you know, I love that. <laughs> the teacher of teachers. Um, but, yeah. So, a lot, of, like when we talk about the Abrahamic traditions, that Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all come from the same foundation and the same stories and the same process, um, we could look at the New Thought traditions, and many of them, you know, especially those three, but several others as well, can trace back to a point in time where um, Emma Curtis Hopkins was was a go-to teacher, one of the go-to teachers. And as I, you know, I will have to come to your class to know more. Are you really teaching a class on her, just her, or the history of New Thought or something? No, on, on, on her. On her influence and her um, her philosophy and yeah, what she believed in. See, that's so cool because I, cause I've heard, read a couple of different things about her and it seems like she used to have these, um, sol- these gatherings where people would just come and they would talk about spirit. They would talk about God, as they were experiencing, and that I think is so profound. I just cannot get across to myself and anybody that might be listening to have those conversations in your daily life with your daily friends, with you know, with just random occurrences to try to pull in that spiritual juice of what's happening around you in everything. And as I understand it, that's kind of what she did, and she really, you know, she embodied this. Saying yes to spirit, twenty four seven. Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? You're funny. <laughs> I know I'm funny, but I want to be right. I want to be right and funny. <laughs> well, in this case, you are both. You are right and yay. And um, you know, um, and I get, I bet it happens some today as well. But when you think about in a era before in the 1800s and, you know, in the early 1900s, there was no Internet. Right. There was no um, fax machine even. There definitely was no email. There was no um, satellite or cable TV. There was no CNN, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so the way people shared information Mm. was, by gathering in in a location mm-hmm. um, or by having a series of lectures, like you know there may be there may have been someone who lectured around the country, but even think about that, I mean it wasn't like you just got on a plane in the next city, you know you go on tour in the next city you're next day you're in another city, you know you'd be traveling for days. days or weeks, you know, to go to three or four cities and so and going from, you know, east coast to west coast, I mean, you're talking about a major endeavor. So it's a, it is kind of interesting that at all there would be some way to share and it you know, and that people came from a common base and then went to different parts of the country. Was she an eighteen so, hundreds person? Emma Curtis Hopkins. So how about we do a show <laughs> in a few months Emma. when I'm teaching Emma to talk about Emma. And right now let's just be grateful <laughs> for her influence <laughs> on the New Thought move- Movement. Actually, one of the things that I thought about as we were starting to talk about her is how grateful I am that in the New Thought movement, there have been 
so many women there you go who have been influential in the growth of the New Thought Movement and the expression of spirituality mm-hmm. that it um you know, there have been an equal number of men and women who have had really significant influence, even though we still see and hear more, I think, about some of the men. And, of course, in Science of Mind, since the founder is Ernest Holmes and he was surrounded by many um, men in the first years of the movement, we hear a lot about, you know, the same five or six men. But, yeah, when you look at the lineage, Mm -hmm. there were a lot of women. And even in Science of Mind, which we won't do a Science of Mind show either. I mean, we maybe will (laughs) at some point. But I was talking uh, a few months ago with someone who had been, who a minister now, who is in his 70s, who had been trained by Ernest Holmes' brother. Hmm. And and so, and, you know, had some exposure to Ernest Holmes, but was trained by Fenwick Holmes, Ernest Holmes' brother. And, um, And I, because he'd been around so long, I asked him, what about African Americans? in science of mind in religious mm. science. Oh, interesting. And uh, so, several people had told me to talk to this particular minister about that. And he just started talking and about people he personally knew and people he knew about. But the reason I bring it up now, because maybe that will be a show in itself too. Um, is now we have four shows so far. Because the first person he named was a black woman, really, who was ordained as a science of mind minister and started a church in Los Angeles. And so to his knowledge, and his knowledge is pretty close to like the original knowledge, she was the first woman, the first African-American wow. to... Um, to be ordained and have her own church. And what year did he say? Um, the 60s, 50s? No, no, this would have been earlier than that. Hmm. Awesome. And her son became a minister, and then her grandson is the minister of that same church now. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But that what triggered that for me was not the African American part as much as just thinking about women, because now if we look at ministers in Science of Mind and if we look at ministers in Unity churches, the two larger arms of New Thought, um, there are more women in ministry than men. That's very curious. I like that. I am grateful for that. I am grateful for all ministers, male and female. So I'm trying to get back to grateful. But I think we yeah. should do a show on Emma Curtis Chapman. Her and it's Kermit Hopkins Curtis. Yeah, her. Okay, so in 12 steps, they talk about having an attitude of gratitude. Mm-hmm. An attitude of gratitude, saying like being in grateful state of mind all the time. Do you Do you find like... I can absolutely see when I'm outside of gratitude and certain things kind of jolt us back to gratitude. Um, And it's always kind of a sad truth to me. I I hate that this is kind of a truth in a way, but I think it is. You and I are currently going through a woman that used to work at our church and that um, I think you stayed kind of close to and I had stayed somewhat close to throughout the years after she left even um, and was a practitioner, died late last week. And the um, looking at people's emails and different things going back and forth, people have become so grateful for someone's life when they're gone. And then we become so grateful for life when someone we know dies. 
And I years ago, I used to have a title of a book in my head is I want to be grateful now before I find out I have cancer. That was mm-hmm. I thought that's too long of a title, but you know the, that's the idea. It's a good idea. Of, why does it take you know somebody I love to die, or why do I have to wait to really yeah, celebrate you know, someone's it, life? It really is interesting that, um, around around the attitude of gratitude and really being grateful all the time. Right. Um, and it, it is. I I think because I have close experiences with death in my family when I was young, Mm. I learned that early, you know. Mm. And part of it was I was too young to really know a lot of the people, you know, but or we were very involved in our church, and so I'd be taken to church because my dad was the, you know, head of the deacon board and had to be there or something, and you know, because so and so died, or it was a funeral, or you know. Oh, it's so, a young kid. You went to funerals as a young kid. I went to church. I wasn't necessarily in the sanctuary where the funeral was. Oh, like I, I see. might be in the, you know, they might have child care or something, or class going on, or sometimes oh, I'd be curious, but okay. I'd have to go because you know my parents couldn't leave oh, me at home by myself wow. okay. when I was young. Um, and then growing up and having people who I'd met or who I knew as elders in the church, you know, and they they would pass and you'd go to their funeral and, yes, you'd see people all torn up and crying and falling out on the floor and screaming and, you know, all of that. Um, and I, I would ask that question. Like, we didn't act like we cared about that person. <laughs> Or they were around. You know, we didn't hate them. Yeah, but, but we didn't care. I mean, it was always serious to me. Yes. We didn't act like we were grateful for that person and their mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. You would always get that sense of, oh, it could be me or the closer it was. <laughs> right. You know, if it were a, an aunt or an uncle or a cousin or something. And so I was exposed to enough. A lot of A lot of families don't talk about death or don't, you know, their kids don't know about funerals and they just mm-hmm. like send them off to a play date somewhere while they go off and, and they think it's, kids can't handle it. But I was around it enough that I, the question you asked is what I asked and what I kind of put, kind of put in my mind. You know what? The people I care about are going to know that I care about them and I respect them and and I'm going to be grateful for them while they're alive. Mm-hmm. You know your book, your potential book title, and I, you know, and I'm going to be grateful for life myself. Yes, for my own life, always. All the time. And that happened for me young because my dad had his first heart attack when I was seven years old. Mm. And between the, my, the age of seven and twelve or thirteen, he had three more heart attacks. Mm. So I really knew your life. Could end, mm-hmm. you know, and I was sick. I was mm-hmm. a sick kid all the time. So, so I got that, and I and I agree with you. I think most of the time, most people are just on automatic. And then when someone passes, or someone's in the hospital on life support, or, you know, I'm in a car accident and I drive mm-hmm. into a wall. Mm-hmm. You know, you do get a heightened sense mm-hmm. of. How grateful am I for this life? This moment. Whatever's happening. Right. Whatever my situation or circumstance. Right. Am I grateful for this day when I got three bills and I have no money to pay them? Am I still grateful simply for being alive and having the opportunity to watch the miracle that's going to (laughs) happen? Because I know it's going to be a miracle. Right, it's going to be a miracle, and like you said, okay, this feels the human side of me is feeling like this is a real problem, and I'm agitated about it, or something good's got to come of this. Mm-hmm. I'm obligated to pay these bills and this amount of money. I have no money. Let spirit work this out. Let's see how this is going to happen. Right, this, this is an adventure. adventure. Right. 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 This will be an adventure. And, you know, I, I used to say this when I worked in hospice a lot to people. You know, if you want to get out of that 
mindset of being kind of asleep, volunteer in a hospice. Yes. There are hospices throughout the entire country, and they're desperate for volunteers. And it is an extraordinary thing, and you don't even have to... We used to, you know, there's certain volunteers that want to be there at the time of, of passing, mm-hmm. and there's certain volunteers that don't want to be anywhere near that, and you don't have to be. You can be, you know, a support system throughout the process in so many different ways. But to volunteer in a hospice, even if it's just a brief period of time, yeah. that trans is transformative in terms of how we look at life and how we look at death and how that whole <coughs> process from a family's perspective, happens as well. And how families and friends, you know, rally around when you have that warning of someone dying versus someone just kind of going quickly. And uh, But it does. It, it shifts into gratitude. And I think until you have something, until I have something in my personal toolbox, it's hard for me to have that sense of deep gratitude. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I do think you can get... It can continue to deepen. It mm-hmm. can continue to grow. Um, and so it's not like you get to the point where, oh, I have an attitude of gratitude and I appreciate my <laughs> life and you're like, boom, there it is. You know, don't have to worry about that anymore. Check that off the list. Because I can think of lots of times, um, you know, at different points in my life where even though I had, I got it mm-hmm. early, it's continued to deepen. So, in, back in 2007, both of my brothers died six mm. months apart, and my mm. favorite uncle died right in the middle. So mm. it was, you know, May, August, November. Oh, my goodness. Three major people who are, you know, major, major in my life. And I, you know, I was in a really good place about being grateful for life, about um, being grateful for my relationship with all three of them, being grateful for who I am in the world, all of that. And people actually were, there were some people who were worried about me because with the, when the first brother died, my mindset was, yes, I'm, I'm mourning all the time in the future we will not have. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm mourning that we won't be able to meet in another city and go on vacation together. You know, I'm, right. I could list all the things did, that yeah. I was really sad about that, we might have done if he had lived longer. Right. But I was really consumed with how grateful I was at celebrating his life and all the things we had done. So the time we did meet in Atlanta and go on vacation together, the times that we, you know, did buy the same piece of art, but we didn't know it until Mm -hmm. we compared notes. Um, You know, lots of things, the, the accomplishments he had, and people were like, worried. there were four or five people who were worried because they thought I was in denial yes. because I wasn't, like, you know, unable to work and distraught and crying constantly. And, and I'm like, no, you don't get it. I'm so grateful for his life and what he experienced and all the people he helped and all the things that he and I did together over, you know, these however many years. Still, by the end of the year, with his death, my uncle's death, and my other brother's death, I knew going into 2008, I had an even deeper mm-hmm. sense of gratitude for life itself right. and for my health because two of the three of those deaths were really related to long-term chronic illness, Mm. you know, and how important it was and how appreciative I was of my body Mm -hmm. and how healthy I, you know, have been and and committed to doing even more. So it's like I think it continues to deepen. Darn it. I can't get, like, to an attitude of gratitude and just check that off my list like you said. (laughs) I somehow think... That I can live in that state of deepness all the time, but it does get deeper. Well, yeah, it's like it's deep, and then it gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and you embody it more and more and more in in whatever way you can. So um, let's take a little break, and then we'll come back and talk about spiritual practices that help us connect to 
and sustain an attitude of gratitude. I like it. Gratitude in terms of 
you know, staying awake. I guess that's really, for me, I see life that way. I had a um, conversation with someone this morning, and and she is she's kind of in that beginning phase of awakening, mm-hmm. of remembering. Mm-hmm. I think of it in terms of it's like we all know what we know, but we've forgotten. And then yeah. as we get little kernels of things dropped in our lap, and we go, ooh. That makes sense. Ooh, mm-hmm. I like that. Ooh, why do I, why am I, and she's really in that state of, why does this, what's happening over here? Ooh, I like that. I heard that book. I heard this person. I heard that thought. And it's like she's in that moment of, am I crazy? Do, well, how do I know this before? Why is this making mm-hmm. such sense now? Or why do I really want to learn more? And the concept that she was looking at this morning was the universal one, that we're all one, that we're all actually connected. And she um, was really awakening to this concept of something horrible happens to someone on the other side of the planet. That ultimately is happening to all of us. And she kind of had an out-of-body experience where she experienced that physically. Mm-hmm. And she was, it was like, almost like drugs, you know, she's so exciting and such a high, and she said, and then it was gone, and, you know, I want it back, and how do I get it back, and where do I go, and what books do I read? And it was really interesting to see that awakening process, and, you know, I feel like I've awakened and fallen asleep and awakened and gone to a coma, and then, you know, awakened and then, you know, I've gone so extreme in my life, and, you know, again, how do do you stay currently awake, I wear these mala beads, which are, I guess, are they Buddhist prayer beads? What are they, Tracy? They're mala beads. Is that a Buddhist thing? But they're like a physical reminder to me. When I look down, I'm like, oh, that's right. I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. I am a spiritual person. You know, my personhood is not about being human. It's about being spiritual. And so that's a physical, I don't know that that's a spiritual practice, but it's a physical reminder and I need a lot of reminders. <laughs> I need a lot of reminders. I love it. The, uh, yes, using the mala beads in prayer, you know, taking a prayer or an affirmation and and saying it 108 times and using the beads as the counter um, so that you don't have to go, I am loved one. I am loved two. You can just say, I am love. I am love. I am love. And you know when you go once around, it's 108. I mean, that's one way to use them. But I love what you said, the point of, you know, just by wearing them, by having them on your wrist. Mm-hmm. You you feel them or you look down and you see them and you're reminded. Yes. So that, too, is a spiritual practice. What about um, one of your favorite spiritual gurus and her encouraging and, and exposing so many millions of people to the idea of keeping a gratitude journal? Oprah, Oprah, Oprah. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because, you know, keeping a gratitude journal has been around forever, <laughs> but as soon as she talked about it, you yes. know, 10 million people are like, what a great idea, I'm going to keep a gratitude journal, and and then six months later, it had such an impact on my life. You, you sound a little bitter, <laughs> I think our culture is fascinating. But not bitter. Actually, I feel very grateful. (laughs) Yes. I feel very grateful that she uses her influence in so many positive ways. Yes. And I really believe ultimately, because I've heard more and more of her stories now and how the process of her life, how she... um, has always had a very new thought or um, God is one, God is within, we are the divine theology or personal belief. But in a strange way, she knew if she spoke of that too soon, she wouldn't have the platform that she has now. So she kind of allowed spirit and God to create this, this sort of image that she has and then once she got to that point where people had this kind of iconic feeling for her, then she could say something really strange like God's within all of us and bring in all these new thought people on her show and people didn't just tune out because they were already hooked by her. So in a strange way, I think it's really divinely designed because now she can bring in some of these thoughts that are just really very 
centered in um, spiritual, you know, Wayne Dyer and all the different, Deepak Chopra, all the different wisdom masters that, that she is opening people to that they would never allow into their world unless it came through somebody they trusted like her. But Attitude of Gratitude, she'll, and I've told this story before, but she talks about how Gail, her best friend's kiddos, who were her, I guess, god kiddos, or, you know, she was her favorite aunt kind of thing, when they, as soon as they started to write four, five, six, however, baby, baby, babies, as soon as they started to write, she told them they had to say and write three things they were grateful every day. And these kids now, I've heard interviews with them how their whole lives, you know, they had to look for things to be grateful of. It couldn't write the same thing the next day. It had to be three new things every day. And especially Gail's daughter, I've heard her interview talk about how that impacted her whole world to be looking, looking for, for something to be grateful for. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's really interesting. I've done that exercise with the women in the jail. And, you know, how, how much can you be grateful for in the same four walls and the same three, 64 women around you? But they'll talk about stories how when they hunted, you know, they had to go on a hunt. But when they hunted, they found it. And when they focused on it, it just magnified it and it made them happy, happy. It's it's a phenomenon to really have that gratitude journal. Have you ever kept a gratitude journal? I have. I really haven't. I only talk about this stuff. But So did it work for you? <laughs> um, I've, I've kept a gratitude journal for, you know, specified periods, like I'll say for 30 days or right. for the next week or for – I've never done a gratitude journal – per se, like for a whole year. Mm-hmm. But because I journal a lot, uh, many times my journal entries are about what I'm grateful for, even though I don't oh, I have, you know, have it as a separate gratitude journal. Um, and, yeah, it does. It does, for me, what you described the women in the jail talking about. I mean, when you start training yourself to look for something that is good or mm-hmm. something you're grateful for, then at first it is a job. I'm looking, right. I've got to look beyond what this person said. I've got to, okay, I see that, but I'm not going to focus on that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and sometimes it seems really lame, like I'm grateful for, um, 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 <laughs> I don't know, um, you know, yeah, right. you go through that. But the more you do it, yes, the easier it is, and sometimes it's tangible stuff, and a lot of times it's really little stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm grateful that when I was in the grocery store, you know, this morning, the line was, I was in the line that was moving the fastest, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that could seem a little lame. It's not personal, but it's like, no, I'm acknowledging right. that right. I'm in the flow, yes, and that everything, like like my favorite phrase of, you know, I live in a green light world, yes. I live a green light life. It's like, oh, it's the same thing of looking for a parking yes. space or, you know, willing to light the street lights the traffic signals to be green all the way to work. It's like, yeah, I'm in the grocery store. And I used to say, why do I always get in the longest <laughs> lowest line yeah. at the bank or at the store? You know, so when I when I had that experience of one day saying, writing in my journal, oh, when I went to the grocery store this morning, I was in the fastest line. It was like I was shifting. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm grateful that the line moved quickly. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I'm shifting my undercurrent, my yes. belief system. Yes. Yes. Oh, I can be grateful for that. Well, I like that idea, the undercurrent. Because I think that's the real thing that gets certainly gets me tripped up in terms of new thought and affirmations and things like this. Because golly knows I have, you know, said those affirmations. I am fit, I am trim, I am a size 10. Oh, no, no, never happened. Because there's an undercurrent that is saying something very different in my life. And it has so much power because it's saying it all the time. Yes, it's saying it all the time. And so to become aware of that undercurrent and to be shifting 
that undercurrent. And I think it is a matter of looking at the minutia, because the minutia is the undercurrent. Right. And the minutia is the thing. Minutia. Is that not how you say you it? just like saying minutia. That. Is that how you say it? Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's the little tiny things that that shift big mountains, big, big mountains. You know, this is a pretty common practice, um, at least in New Thought and in metaphysical communities and workshops. Um, but I love it, even though it's fairly common, and that's the, um, I, I often call it the gimme five, but it's give me five minutes of things you're grateful for, things and people you are grateful for, things and experiences you are grateful for, not people. Um, and give me five so like you say them out loud? Or five something? minutes. I'm not heard. Oh, five minutes. Five okay. minutes out loud, nonstop. <gasps> oh, that's so hard. Yes, I have done that in a class. It is not hard. It seems like 10 days. It's not hard. Oh, I've never heard that phrase, give me five. That's cute. I call it give me five. That's cute. Like the Marines. um, You know, it's used, sometimes it'll be seven minutes, sometimes it'll be three minutes, but it's the the practice Mm -hmm. of saying or, you know, writing. If I'm saying write, it would be seven to ten minutes because writing, you you can talk much faster than you can write. And so, but a lot of times if I'm in a workshop or I'm leading a a group, I'll just say, okay, you know, give me five. five That's so cute. It's like a military kind of thing. And push um, And it is, it seems like for a lot of people it is hard, but... Then when you get to five minutes, you know, the first minute and a half is hard. Mm-hmm. They're going, uh, I am <laughs> grateful, thinking they're expanding the time I'm using right, my minutes. Right. And then it gets to like four minutes and, you know, 30 seconds, and I might say, okay, you got 30 seconds left, keep going. But by then they're like, shut up, because, you know, yes, yes. I'm started. I'm in mm-hmm. the flow of it, and mm-hmm. I can't, I, and then you set the timer off, and they're like, no, no, I'm not done. Isn't that interesting? And also that concept of there's something about feeling, for me, embarrassed yeah. or Oh, I shouldn't be, you know, focusing on that. Or what about the poor, starving children, you know, somewhere else? There's some message, some little hook that if I'm too grateful, if I'm too happy, if I'm in too much of a good space, then somehow, you know, even beyond that, I don't deserve that. It's like, who am I to be feeling that way? And of course, then the opposite is, who am I not to be feeling that way? Of course. But there is kind of that hook and that understanding to to really understand, and I I believe this, but when I fully embrace it, that only by living as large and as divine as I am do I open the door for other people to live as large and divine as they are. Right. And that was two weeks ago when we did our Living Small Right, right. Um, So to be totally grateful all the time allows other people to have that mirror. Yeah, and you know the um, the Give Me Five is great in a workshop, but I've used it for myself, and I've used it with clients where it's, okay, that's going to be your spiritual practice. So I've done mm-hmm. it where, you know, for me it was like every day this week, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to do five minutes of what I'm grateful for out loud. And... Um, or sometimes I won't do five minutes. I'll just say, like, you know, maybe I'm going from place A to place B, mm-hmm. and I know I'm going to be in the car for 10, mm-hmm. 15 minutes. Right. And I won't put myself on the kind of, you just have to keep going, keep going, but the whole time I'm in the car, you're just going to keep saying out loud things you're grateful for and notice as you're driving, you know, so then you can do things like, you know, I'm so grateful that... Um, you know, the, this is a season where the flowers are so pretty. And, I, you know, things that you wouldn't think of in your own individual life. Right. But you can notice as you're, you're driving. But to do the practice, I've done this with clients a number of times to help them get out of their own misery. <laughs> you know, the, they're being locked into all that's going wrong in their lives. And I know I'm going to have another session with them in a week or ten days. 
And it's like, you know what? Okay, every day. All right? And and so some people you can say do a journal, you know, or write it down, but everybody's not a write-it-down no, person. absolutely. So a lot of clients will be like, you don't have to write it down. You don't have to record it. Just do it. Right. Five say minutes it. every day, and we're going to talk about, you know, what you discovered about yourself from talking about what you're saying out loud, what you're grateful for. And if you follow that new thought idea that we attract and get what we focus on, if I'm constantly looking at things that I'm grateful for, then I'm attracting more things that I'm grateful for. Exactly. That that becomes a seed that's planted. It's really deep, isn't it? So simple, but it's really, really deep. And so much fun. (laughs) It's really so easy. You know, they say that in 12 steps. It's so easy, it's hard. Because these things, they're just quite simple. They're quite simple to train. And I heard someone say this once, and and I think it's true. It's always like, you know, I'm kind of like training the little dog in my head or, you know, training the little child in my head in terms of, you know, lovingly bringing, nurturing, repetitiveness. Always. Always that is what we are doing. And we don't ever get done, Tracy Brown? We don't ever, like, taint it 100% of the time and get to walk through a wall. <laughs> I keep coming back to that. I keep coming back to that. Eventually, I'm walking okay, through a wall. So I promise you, I promise you, <sighs> mm-hmm. if I come to the hospital to see you and you are in a coma, <laughs> I promise you are in a coma and you're on life. <laughs> I promise I will mm-hmm. tell everyone who comes in the room, uh-huh. Watch, these are She's walking through the wall. See? She's always wanted to walk through the wall. She's walking through the wall, right? See? See? But I don't want to wait till I'm in a coma. Well, you won't be in a coma. You'll be walking through a wall. We'll be looking at your physical oh, body, describing it as she's in a coma. But she, you'll be actually I'll be, walking yeah. back and forth through the walls. Look at them. Look at them. Looking at Looking me. me. Like I'm... I'm over here walking through the walls. <laughs> what is it with these people? You know, Can the, they see me walking through the walls? You know, that's so funny. That reminds me of this woman that I was talking to this morning. The book that hooked her, that kind of jolted her into awakening, was something called Proof of Heaven. Mm-hmm. And I had never heard of it, but she said it's a story, a true story of a neuroscientist. Mm-hmm who was in a coma for seven days and had all of these outer body experiences where he saw sort of beyond the veil, so to speak, and, um, you know, he was trying to explain to all of us how the illusion of our lives and how we think and what we think we think is real, you know, is really not. And it's, um, it yeah, was, I'd never heard of that book, but I think I'm going to go read it. Proof of Heaven. You've heard of it? Yeah, that book's been getting a ton of media. Was it on Oprah? <laughs> Has he been on Oprah? Is it a new book? I've just never heard of it. It's a new guy? Well, it's a, yeah, more, it's a more recent book than since Oprah had her daily show. Um, but yeah, it's been getting a lot of exposure and, uh, a lot of excerpts being posted, mm. a lot of Facebook links being oh, really? connected to reviews about the book. And and what I think is so fascinating, again, about things like that, I think, you know, little seeds of truth, when people randomly hear them, and like you said, in the 1800s they didn't have Facebook, but what a fabulous venue for someone to post a little kernel of, divine truth and have somebody that's never thought about it read it and I absolutely believe it hooks something within us that spirit that divine is just waiting to have an opportunity and it's like wow how do I why does that make sense to me or why I love that idea boy that feels good and I don't know why and it is a cool timing and readiness yes that you know people hear things and one of the reasons, yeah, there are no new ideas, but the idea right. keeps circulating. Right. Because maybe I wasn't ready to hear that six years ago. Right. And then somebody says it now, and I'm like, oh. Yes. And and it's like, it's my time to hear it now. Right, right. So. And books we read, you know, there are books that people will, will 
books. I've given books to people before that I just loved, and I thought this would change your life, and they realize, like, I got nothing out of this. <laughs> and so it does. It takes different things for different people. Yeah, I have a really good friend. That happens all the time, all the time. He reads books and he falls in love with them and he, and that's his line. You are gonna love this. This <laughs> is gonna change, change your life. Gonna change your life. No, <laughs> doesn't happen for you. <laughs> no. But you know, actually, what happens with this particular friend is, as I'm reading it, I can I know him so well. I know exactly why it worked for him. Ah. What it, you know, so I'm reading it going. Okay, I get why it was so impactful for him, but it's like I don't think that way, and I don't need that. You know, it's it's just I get it, but it's not working for me. Right. I would never read this book on my own. You know, I would have closed it at page four, mm-hmm. but I'm reading it because you know he said, and uh, he said it was so great. And uh, you know, maybe I'm coming to that point. Um, and then I'll get to the end and go, okay, well, I'm glad I read it, but yeah. I know, I know why Fred liked it. So, um, that, at least that, you know, usually, usually I'm, I'm grateful for that. There's only been one recommendation in 20 years of knowing him that even after I have completed it, I was like, really? This? <laughs> and that was a film, so it was like, no. Mm-mm. And we laugh about it because I'm still like, no, uh-uh. <laughs> At least you tell them, see. That's very healthy of you to tell them. Nah, didn't work for me. I don't want to be seen as it not working for me. I want to act like, oh, yeah, I got it. I'm there. I got it. I'm, I'm evolved. You know, it made me think, I just, as you were talking about that friend and you were talking about your friends knowing you're grateful for them, it occurs to me like once a quarter, I wonder what would happen if I wrote a little note to all the people in my life that I was grateful for. That'd be four times a year I could set out to do that. What an amazing thing that would be. That would be. So just a little note. It doesn't have to be like, see, I think it has to be a 10-page paper. But just a little tiny note card saying, I am grateful for you. If you went away tomorrow, I would miss you. Oh, my goodness. That well, makes me kind of want to cry. <laughs> Tracy, if you went away tomorrow, I would miss you. <laughs> you know, it's, you're laughing. I know, I know, but I'm, I'm in touch with how I don't say that very often. You know, I just assume people know. Yes. Well, and uh, one other grateful practice, that, well, two very quick ones. One is um, my friend Patty Dye uh, started a practice and told everybody about it to write a thank you note a day. You just oh, and, thank and you note a day. Thank you wow. every morning. And wow. And I think there's a website, and I think it's either thankaday.com. Cute. And if you're thankful from a financial perspective, there's a of Houston, Todd Silva, and he has a site called Giveaway a Dollar a Day and how it helps you be grateful for what you have. Because when you think you don't have money, but you can afford to give $365 away in a year, that it shifts everything. Oh, look at you. Suddenly you just had a burst of gratitude there at the end. I like that. So uh, that's our show for today. We're so glad you joined us on Say Yes to Spirit. Our theme has been grateful, and please check the schedule to see about upcoming themes, and we hope that you will join us again. But until that time, remember to say say yes to spirit.
Alexa, play Whitney Houston. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get access to over 50 million songs. Download the Amazon Music app today.